0: If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Thursday, December the 12th, and you're listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen, the Hoover Institution's Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Research Fellow. Joining me today in Hoover's Washington, D.C. Uh, office on a very chilly Thursday. Well, it's chilly to me because I'm here from California. It's under <laughs> yeah. 50 degrees of chilly. It's my friend Fred Barnes. That's a name you should recognize if you own a television and have followed political journalism for the past several decades. Because Fred Barnes was one of the original crew of the McLaughlin Group, he was one of the original Beltway Boys, and he's probably done a few million hits on Fox News in his lifetime. Um, Fred is an accomplished print reporter, The Washington Star, The Baltimore Sun, The New Republic, The Weekly Standard. The Wall Street Journal, now a senior columnist for the Washington Examiner, mm-hmm. and you, my friend, have a page on IMDb. You're in showbiz.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you never know. Uh, get on television, and and things like that happen.
0: Okay, Dave, you did
1: a- well, Dave. You know, I still get checks for that because it's shown. It'll be on uh, uh, <laughs> that movie will be on Bulgarian TV, and I'll get a I'll get a check for ten dollars.
0: <laughs> Murphy, you did Murphy Brown, I think, one time.
1: I did do Murphy Brown. I like Murphy Brown. That was a fun show to do.
0: And one of my favorite Fred Barnes moment, you weren't on the show, but your book was on The Sopranos.
1: The uh, It was, and it was uh, shown to me that, um, I guess, I've, I've never seen The Sopranos, never watched it, but uh, I think The Wife of the Star was reading it in bed. This was a book about George W. Bush's presidency uh, in t- The title was Rebel in Chief, and uh, frankly, uh, seeing it uh, or hearing that it was in The Sopranos, I was deeply flattered.
0: Yes, she was reading the book Carmelo Soprano... And uh, actually, there's a, a vignette where she and uh, Meadow Soprano are talking about civil rights. Meadow Soprano goes to Columbia mm-hmm. as she gets caught up working for a uh, public law practice, a public defender, and she complains about Bush and the war on terror and infringing rights. And Carmelo Soprano says, I voted for the man. <laughs> but this sparked, a, this sparked a debate, Fred, about the book being on the show mm-hmm. and Carmela reading the book. And it got the no yeah. question about ultimately whether or not the Sopranos and the Bob is a conservative operation or
1: not. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I don't have an answer.
0: Very good. Well, the reason why I have you on the show today, my friend, is because you are the Robert Todd Lincoln of impeachment.
1: Indeed. Uh, You'll have to explain that to me.
0: I will. You're looking at me quizzically, but here is what I'm getting at. Robert Todd Lincoln, the only son of Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. to reach adulthood, uh, was involved in not one but three presidential assassinations. He was supposed to go to Ford's Theater on the night of his father's assassination. He begged off. He was too tired. He said. He was then woken up later when he found out his father had been shot. He was at the Peterson House when his father passed away. In eighteen eighty one, Fred Robert Todd Lincoln is now working for James Garfield. He oh. is his war secretary. Mm-hmm. He is at the train station when Garfield is shot in the back. Flash forward to nineteen oh one. And Robert Todd Lincoln is in Buffalo, oh, the Pan American Exposition mm-hmm. when McKinley is shot. So he is there for three assassinations. He later kind of cryptically says maybe it's not a good thing to be hanging around presidents <laughs> or not. Indeed. But here is the point. You have been in Washington. Uh, at a point in your career now where you've witnessed not one, but two, but three presidential mm-hmm. impeachment proceedings.
1: I missed Andrew Johnson's, but that uh, that's the only one.
0: <laughs> you were here for 1868, but okay. But you were here for 73, you were here mm-hmm. for 1998, and you're here for the present. Let's talk about the three and kind of what what the difference between them. Let's go back, first of all, to 1973. Where are you in 1973 when this begins?
1: Well, let's see. 1973, I was a reporter uh, for, uh, hmm, I guess I was still with the Baltimore Sun, Uh, rather the Evening Star. I went to the Baltimore Sun in 1979 from the Evening Star. You know, in those days, Evening Star, the evening newspapers were were still a big deal, and uh, they aren't anymore now. They were killed by television, and of course, uh, all newspapers are being killed now by the internet.
0: Hmm. Right, but that was actually your first big break in journalism. You're running, yep. you're running for the Star and you're covering the House <laughs> Republicans, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I did cover House Republicans, but I had, uh, and I'd covered the Supreme Court before that. I found it kind of boring. I much prefer politics. And, uh, you know, when you cover uh, uh, people on Capitol Hill, they all want to talk to you. Right. When you cover the Supreme Court, practically none of them want to talk to you.
0: Right. So by dint of covering the hill, you know Gerald Ford.
1: Indeed, Gerald Ford. Very nice man. Uh, A pretty good president under the circumstances. And uh, uh, that was, of course, with uh, uh, Nixon's resignation. And uh, I think uh, America was lucky to have him at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. What I remember about the 73 impeachment, Fred, was the shock of it all. First of mm-hmm. all, the shock of when the White House tapes came out and you read the transcripts, right. and you discovered just the vulgarity that was being spoken inside mm-hmm. the Oval Office. Indeed. The idea that a president could be involved in these kind of schemes. Was that, from a journalist standpoint, was that also the feeling for people covering this? Uh,
1: yeah, it was. Well, they were surprised to hear that. Not entirely surprised, but, I mean, look, we know uh, that men in particular talk in a different way privately than they do in public, uh, right. and some, the differences is, is, is quite different. But it was uh, a bit surprising in the case of Richard Nixon, uh, and, uh, and, but his impeachment was, uh, was different from uh, the one now, and, uh, uh, and of course he was not impeached. He resigned.
0: Right. Something else that stands out about then and now, Fred, is the cast of characters involved in the Nixon impeachment, mm-hmm. in particular Sam Irvin.
1: Yeah, a North
0: Carolina <laughs> senator a country lawyer. Uh
1: and quite a uh, effective uh chairman of the Watergate committee. Uh he was well liked. It was uh, bipartisan. Uh and and really uh, uh did the job well. Had can I remember uh, some of the testimony that was very uh, uh compelling. Particularly Pat Buchanan came and defended everything he and Nixon had ever done. Uh but he did a good job of it.
0: Right. Um, and you compare that to the current cast of characters, a Sam Erdrins versus an Adam Schiffer, Jerry yeah. Nadler. Yeah, these are yeah. This is a mm-hmm. North Carolina Democrat versus very coastal Democrats. Yeah. Adam Schittler, Californian, Californian, right. uh, Jerry Nadler, a New Yorker.
1: Yeah, but I emphasize that they, uh, the word bipartisan yeah. was quite different. And uh, remember, you had uh, you had uh, uh, Senator Baker from Tennessee there asking, you know, when did the president know uh, uh, what was going on, and so on, and when did he know, and and uh, and that was a big question uh, there. It was uh, it was so uh, so different from the totally partisan hearings in the case today uh, against President Trump. And what about
0: the media coverage back then, Fred? The Washington Post, of course, drives the train. The New York yeah. Times drives the train. But what about other publications? It seems mm-hmm. now in this day and age, the battle lines are already drawn over Trump papers. You either <laughs> think he should be impeached or not. Right. But I think back in the 70s, there was much more of a process that played out as far
1: as oh, oh, very much so. It was quite different. Uh, it didn't start out with... Uh, uh, the Evening Star, and I think other newspapers too, and the television coverage. Um, it didn't start out with the idea this guy's got to be uh, driven out of office. We have to impeach him, force him to resign, or something. And yet, uh, at least among Democrats and the, and much of the media, that is the that is where we the starting point uh, for impeachment of Donald Trump.
0: Okay, let's go down to the 1990s and the Bill Clinton impeachment. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1998, that coincides with the first year of the Beltway Boys.
1: It did. uh, Well, there's a gift for you. (laughs) Uh, The Beltway Boys was a wonderful show to do, and and Bill Clinton uh, was a president that, um, you know, he's taken a beating in recent years. Uh, 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 But when he uh, left the presidency, he had uh, uh, thwarted... uh, uh, being driven out of office. And, uh, and you know, it's different. It, uh, in, in both the Nixon case and the Clinton case, you had a crime that was committed. Hmm. And the crime, of course, in the Nixon case is not one that he actually physically participated in. And it was the break in at the Democratic headquarters at the Watergate. Right in the in the Clinton case he had had lied about his uh um uh, dalliances with um uh, what's her name? Kelly yeah Monica Lewinsky and uh, and it had lied before a grand jury and uh, right. and as a result uh he was impeached but uh, the senate has to convict if you're going to be removed from office and uh, uh the senate didn't come close to doing that
0: right uh, interesting if you go back and look at the math of Clinton impeachment Fred mm-hmm. uh, 228 votes to convict him on the perjury count yep. and 221 on the obstruction charge mm-hmm. um, if you look on the perjury one five Democrats broke with their party and five Republicans broke with
1: their yeah. party mm-hmm.
0: and now you read the papers today and there's a lot of speculation as what happens to those 31 Democrats who are in Trump districts these are mm-hmm. Democrats who won in 2018 but Trump carried the district in 2016 mm-hmm. what do they do
1: yeah well that's uh, I think they have very hard votes I think 20, uh, 21 of them uh our first year. They're freshmen and are fresh women and they, uh, uh, it's going to be a very tough vote for them but I think you can't abandon your base. And, your base, and their base is in the Democratic Party, and I think they'll probably the vast majority will vote for impeachment.
0: I can tell you a good example of somebody who has a tough vote on this, and that's Joe Coleman, who was a freshman from South Carolina. We were mm-hmm. talking before we went on the sure. air. I was in uh, Charleston for Thanksgiving to see my family. He's the Charleston congressman. Mm-hmm. This is the district that Mark Stanford uh, held, and then he got primaried in, the, yeah. t- in 2018, and then uh, Coleman won. In the uh, It is a
1: Republican district normally.
0: It is. Trump carried it by, I think, 11 or 12 points. Mm-hmm. And if you watch TV that week in South Carolina, Fred, What's fascinating because uh, you know South Carolina is, a, is an early primary, but a later primary. It doesn't come until I think February the twenty ninth this year. Mm-hmm. So that's well after Iowa and New Hampshire. So candidates are not in there dumping money left and right as they are now in Iowa and New Hampshire. There are two candidates who are spending money there. One is Michael Bloomberg, surprise, mm-hmm. yeah, and the other one's Tom Steyer, mm-hmm. surprise. <laughs>
1: well, they're the ones who have the most money. You know,
0: the Steyer ads are funny, Fred, because it is um, just tone deaf, because mm-hmm. he's, the first words out of Tom Steyer's mouth are that he wants congressional term limits. This is the land of Strom Thurmond yeah. and Fritz Hollings, mm-hmm. who combined, Fred, they served 87 years in the Senate. <laughs> South Carolinians mm-hmm. are okay with people spending a long time mm-hmm. in Congress as long as they bring money back to the states. Mm-hmm. So the term limits doesn't work there.
1: You know, the, I, and nobody uh, – I can't think of anybody who has used his own money, his uh, zillions of dollars to be elected – uh, president, but right. uh, and so I would recommend that Tom Steyer uh, try a younger office. There are plenty of senators who've been uh, 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 funders of their own campaigns and, and gotten elected. That's helped them a lot, And right. uh, but they don't want, you. you know, when you make that much money, you think, gee, I'm at the top of the business world. I ought to be the top of the political world, so they start running for president. Big mistake.
0: Well, there's a class of people in this country, Fred, political consultants, who are very good at talking rich people out of their money. And, Indeed. Uh, I joke about this. There are three classes of people on beach houses in California. Mm-hmm. That's celebrities, tech millionaires, and political consultants. Yeah. We just mm-hmm. feed off billionaires. But I mentioned Congressman Coleman because this is mm-hmm. the third political entity on TV. Just all week long, just, just constantly on local mm-hmm. TV, a pro-Trump super PAC running ads, blasting him on impeachment, saying that you promised to go to Washington to be different, and now is your chance to be different. Don't mm-hmm. vote yes on impeachment so he 's got a tough choice ahead of him
1: yeah well that 's going to be a hard vote for him but uh i you know I go back to what I said, and that is you can 't uh reject your base uh because they 'll they 'll punish you and the and among Democrats, the feelings uh against Trump are even stronger than the feelings for Trump among republicans i mean the uh Um, There are so many Democrats who are really heavy breathing in their zeal uh, to drive Trump out of office. They felt that way for months. Nothing has changed their – months, three years at least. Uh, Nothing has changed their minds, uh, and they don't like his conduct. They don't like his – what turns out to be, to a surprise to many of us, his conservatism. He used to be a liberal Democrat at one point. But uh, uh, so I think you have to stick with those people. I think if I – and I think what in the world would I do? And I've, I've never run for office, never wanted to. My dad ran for the House of Delegates in Virginia, didn't get anywhere. Uh, but <clears throat> I think I'd I'd stick with my base.
0: I think so too. Uh, getting back to Clinton impeachment, mm-hmm. um, the Senate. Has, holds a trial, not a single Democrat breaks with Bill Clinton. Yep. And this isn't, Fred, because this is 1999, mm-hmm. and there is a time in 1999, there are a lot of Democrats who could have voted against him, John mm-hmm. Bro in Louisiana. Sure. There were still Southern Democrats, mm-hmm. conservative Southern Democrats, and mm-hmm. Bill Clinton was a lame duck, and they really, they could have easily walked away from him if they you wanted to, but they held the party <clears> line.
1: Uh, they did. And there was an interesting argument that was won uh, by... Uh, those supporting Clinton, and that is, look, this is this is not uh, something that uh, affects the government. This is not it, this is some private thing, and the and the and, and President Clinton was just protecting uh, his private affair with this young woman, and so on. And as, as bad as it might be, that this uh, that this was different. It really wasn't political, and um, and that argument prevailed.
0: You know, I, uh, I love to play political what-ifs, and uh, one of my favorite what-ifs is what if Bill Clinton, once he is caught in this situation, decides that, you know, I've embarrassed myself, I've embarrassed my family, I've embarrassed the country, mm-hmm. I'm going to resign from office. Yeah. Think about what a different world it is, Fred, now, because mm-hmm. he, he's out of office. Al Gore becomes president. I would contend that Al Gore becomes president in, 19, in 2000 because why? He has a better job title. He's flying a much better airplane. Mm-hmm. That's probably good for 10,000 votes of Florida.
1: Oh yeah, at least uh, that would have changed everything. I mean, what uh, if um, it would have? It just uh, would have made such a difference. And I think the reason with with Clinton staying in office uh, that lost the election for Gore, I think, because right. it was so close.
0: Then there's the question of Bill Clinton resigns from office. What is Hillary Clinton's political future? Can she go to New York and set up shop?
1: Well, uh, it, it'd be a little harder. To look, I mean, she. Uh, Hillary Clinton, of whom I'm I've never been a fan, uh, is uh, is someone who benefited because who she married, and um, she uh, when Bill Clinton, uh, there was sort of an inverse relationship: the more unpopular he was, Mm -hmm. the more popular she was as the wronged wife. Uh, I don't think that would have endured.
0: There is a uh, great moment on The Sopranos, Biggie and The Sopranos, okay. in your book, where the mob wives are sitting together having lunch, and they're lamenting the fact that one of the um, mobsters has uh, had a illegitimate child with their goomba, and they're going around the table talking about this. And somebody goes, "Oh, what about Hillary Clinton standing by her guy with all that he did?" And mm-hmm. one goes, "Wait a second, she stood by him, she got what she wanted, yeah, and she now has, has her own thing going." And they yeah. kind of pause. She goes, "You're right." She goes, "She's an inspiration for us all." <laughs>
1: I <laughs> hadn't no, thought of it that way.
0: But with Clinton impeachment, though, mm-hmm. you have two things. You have, first of all, the Democratic senators do not break. Right. Not, not a single one folds. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a great mm-hmm. – you want to do these prop bets for for Trump impeachment once it goes to the Senate. This is a fascinating prop bet. Mm-hmm. Romney, for example, does he break? Does he vote yeah. against Trump or
1: not? But I'd I, be surprised if Romney does just because uh, – right. why would he have uh, gone to the trouble to uh, – uh, become a senator from utah a state where he didn't live and uh, i hope he lives there now some just for the heck of it and um uh so it would uh, he would become a pariah in the republican party i'm afraid
0: right um, explain to me how washington changed after that vote in 1999 the senate the senate trial is uh, conducted it's finished on february the 12th of that year clinton is not convicted and he goes on with the rest of his business. Mm-hmm. Washington returned to normal right after that, or is there, or is there any kind of hangover?
1: Effect? Well, you have to remember who became president uh, after Clinton. Uh, Al Gore didn't win, and uh, but George W. Bush did, and he was a his father had been president. Uh, George W. Bush was a very uh, normal president, I think, and he had uh, he was sort of a moderate conservative uh, Republican who uh, cut taxes some and and uh it was very aggressive overseas i mean uh not uh, well we all remember the war in iraq but a uh, a very different say trump now who is much more uh, wanting to pull back from any sort of military role the us has overseas uh, not only wants to do that but is doing that um so it was a return to uh, normalcy and uh, and then we had uh uh Obama, who came along, and, and he was different from uh, – uh, particularly because of the fact that he was uh, African-American. And yet that – he was uh, otherwise a, a pretty much a conventional liberal, right. uh, an unusually talented uh, candidate. Uh, and, and, uh, and then we go to Donald Trump, and that's when everything has changed. Donald Trump, there is nothing normal about him or his presidency.
0: Yeah, the current history is fascinating in this regard, Fred. We have been through three consecutive two-term presidencies mm-hmm. uh, in Clinton, Bush 43, and Obama. Mm-hmm. This has happened only once before in our country, and mm-hmm. that's three, four, and five. That's your, your beloved Thomas Jefferson as a UVA man, yep. Madison and Monroe. Yeah, And these are three fellows, not mm-hmm. exactly the same, but they're kind of cut from the same cloth. They're mm-hmm. from Virginians. They, yeah. they have plantations rather close to each other. They're all Democratic, Republicans. Yep. The period is called the Ear of Good Feelings. Mm-hmm. But you look at Clinton – and Bush and Obama and now Trump, other than an Ivy League pedigree, because what? Uh, Forty three goes to Yale and Harvard. Uh, Clinton is a Yale law guy. Obama's Columbia and Harvard. Trump is a Penn Wharton undergrad. Other than that education, these four have very little in common. They're four very different personalities.
1: I think so. Well, but uh, but I think you have to uh, recognize one thing that. Trump is more different from all of them uh, than anybody else. Trump – and I've written about this, how – Abnormal he is as a person and and a president. For instance, you know one of the things I've always said I'd look for in politicians, particularly if they want to be president, is whether they are readers or not. Do they read books? Right. Uh, George W. Bush, for example, uh, had uh, what we all uh, I, I probably heard about at one time or another, at least reporters in Washington did, that he would was in a contest with Karl Rove about who could read the most books. Right. And uh, I think it was pretty close, but I think they both claim to have won. Trump does not read. So far as I can tell, he watches TV, he watches Fox, and and so on. And uh, but it it is not a reader. I think that's a
0: he reads he reads his Twitter feed.
1: (laughs) yeah. Well, that's not quite the same. No. The uh, it's uh, I think it's a real drawback.
0: No, also, I don't think his presidency, he's not one to invite a lot of intellectuals in to sit down and spend mm-hmm. an hour with a historian yeah. or someone to just kind of talk great ideas or have dinner at the salons or things like
1: that. Sure. Uh, certainly, uh, I'm trying to think of most presidents who did that. Um, well, Kennedy, fam- Kennedy was Well, Kennedy did too. but Reagan did this. And Reagan did, and George W. Bush did. Uh-huh. And and uh, I, I guess uh, Obama must have done it. Uh, he would have been interested in that. So uh,
0: be an interesting second point, uh, if, Trump, if Trump gets reelected, this will be an interesting question for his second term, because when a president's doing their second term, they start courting historians. Mm-hmm. Because now they're thinking about my place in history, so now Michael <laughs> Beschloss and people like that, they get invited.
1: The, uh, well, I don't know who's going to convince uh, Trump that that's something he ought to do. I think he should, uh, because that, as it stands now, he's not going to fare well, uh, fare very well at all uh, with um with historians who have a view, and I have a view. I look. I've lived here my whole life. Covered the uh, the, uh, the White House for a number of years, and I have a particular idea of what being presidential looks like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like Trump. Uh, I I don't object to him. Uh, well, well, he has no ideology. I don't object to him policy-wise, but uh, he's not presidential.
0: How do you define being presidential?
1: Well, uh, for one thing, <laughs> you don't uh, wake up at 5.30 in the morning and start sending tweets. Now, uh, I don't – I kind of agree with uh, – with Mitch McConnell, who said, "You know, look, I don't object to to uh, Trump uh, tweeting. It's what he tweets yeah. <laughs> that that I object to." That Mitch McConnell says, and I, and I think that's right. But uh, I think Trump needs to read more. Hmm. Uh, starting now that would help. I have no idea what he's going to do in a second term. Uh, I didn't realize he was going to turn out to be so conservative, although I, I thought he might when he came in, because where else was he going to go? He couldn't go to Democrats, and you had a Republican agenda out there, so... You know, he cut taxes and did deregulation and so on.
0: I thought for a long time this was going to be the James K. Polk presidency. That he was, that the point of this was to prove that he could be elected. Yeah. And that he would come in like Polk does in 1845, and Polk has a very specific list of things he plans right. to do. And come 1848, the Democrats desperately want him to run for election, and Polk says i set out to do everything
1: I want to. I'm out of here. He did do a lot. Right. Remember, if you uh, if you follow, and it's something I'd like to write a book about sometime, is how all these parts of America came together. And Polk had a lot to do with that because of the Mexican War and right. so on, and California and New Mexico and all these states became a, a part of the United States. He was he was important. Bob Mary, a, a former Wall Street Journal reporter, has written a very good book on the Polk presidency.
0: Right. But he's the answer to the question of the one first-term president who we define as yeah. successful. First-term yeah. presidents who are not re-elected are, by definition, their failed presidents it's in various ways. And, not uh, always fair, but it's just – the nature Well, of the there are
1: different reasons for this. Uh, do they have – uh just a love of the office and the and and all the uh, uh all that's a, a part of that as as president where you're such a, a major figure in the world not just in the United States or is it that you have an agenda that you really want to push and uh i don't think trump has an agenda he's not ideological that's one of the things that is really uh remarkable about trump he has no ideology These things just come to him, and and, uh, did anybody realize that he was going to be as conservative as he has turned out to be in what may be his only only term or maybe just his first term? Uh, I wasn't expecting that.
0: Let's talk about the Trump impeachment for a moment, Fred. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the spirit of Christmas shopping, this is express delivery, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't start this really until about October the 31st when the House voted to proceed. Mm -hmm. And they have shoehorned these proceedings as best as they can. They were out late last night. They were doing this on Thursday the 12th. Uh, So they were up late on Wednesday doing it. And on Thursday, they're going to have a vote next week. And you know what, Fred? They're going to reach the December 19th deadline that the House reached in 1998 when they voted on on Clinton impeachment. And I don't think that's a coincidence. They're looking at the same model. Uh, than is now but they they, uh, ironically show that Congress can do things when it's motivated Yeah, Um, but they push this thing as fast as they can Um, but what is the end to this game here because you and I can agree this goes to the Senate Mm -hmm. and it's dead on arrival
1: yeah I agree Um, look uh, what they they can be expeditious uh, in one house because they control it, uh, and that's easy. And it's much easier in the house because you can't, you know, they they can't filibuster, and you can't uh, all the ways to uh, delay things are much easier in the Senate to do uh, to pull off than there are in the House. So you can do that. And what does that get you? It gets you to the Senate. And and, and I agree that uh, a Trump removal from office, Trump conviction, uh, is. Not just highly unlikely, it's, uh, I agree with you, dead on arrival.
0: Right. How happy do you think Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, the said Bernie Sanders, the Democratic Senator, how happy are they at the prospect of having to sit in the U.S. Capitol in January in a trial where they've already judged him guilty and they don't even have to be there? They can't campaign in Iowa and New Hampshire.
1: They have to sit through Mm -hmm. these proceedings. Well, uh, yeah, they don't have any choice. Right. So. I think they will uh, spend a lot of time trying to figure out how they want to play this. Obviously they're going to vote uh uh for Trump's removal. Uh right. but uh how are they going to how are they going to act? What are they going to say? How statesmanlike are they going to be? Uh they haven't been as candidates. They're uh, I mean they uh Trump-like crazy and they're all all for driving him out of Washington, out of the White House, but uh I don't think that's uh, going to work. They've already made that case. I think they need to make a somewhat different case. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, to uh, to come across either uh, uh, personally is more um, um, as someone who gives these things more thought than they uh, you might get from them when they're in New Hampshire or Iowa.
0: What's your sense as to how Mitch McConnell wants to play this out, Fred? Because if you go back to the 1998-99 model, uh, the Senate takes it up in January, Mm -hmm. and the vote is on February the 12th, Lincoln's birthday Mm -hmm. of uh, 1999, uh, to not convict Clinton. February the 12th of next year, Fred, is one day after the New Hampshire primary. Yeah. So do you think McConnell wants to drag this out for a month and keep those Democratic senators hostage?
1: I don't think so. He wants to keep this thing uh, uh, shorter. He doesn't want to... Uh, 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 Trump would like to bring in uh, uh, some people who will say what a great president he is, what a wonderful guy he is, will defend him, and so on. Uh, McConnell doesn't want to do that. McConnell's going to win this argument, and it'll be uh, a fairly short uh, a trial in the Senate, and, and they'll vote. and I'd, I'd be surprised if there were a lot of histrionics as well. That's not uh, that's not McConnell's style, and uh, uh, and and he's the boss.
0: Here's one thing that strikes me about uh, impeachment that's curious, Fred. It's not like something you can do every year. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a vampire and shooting with yeah. a silver werewolf, mm-hmm. a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. You get to fire it once, and they yep. now fired it once in year four mm-hmm. of his presidency. He's reelected. Can they try it again in the second term? I don't think so. I don't
1: think they can either, and I think they made a mistake looking back, uh, uh, some of them do, that they should have gone for censure. They could have censured right. uh, Trump fairly easily uh And they could have i think gotten some republican votes i can 't tell you who they might be but uh, but I think they would have gotten some uh look Trump was up to no good when he was throwing out this idea of uh of uh you know help us uh find out all the wrongdoings of the of the bidens in in right. ukraine uh but uh um, it it i don 't think that it rises to the level of uh, an impeachable offense but but censure, it would be good.
0: I think that's a great point to raise. Yeah. First of all, if you make this a censure vote, you put House Republicans in a very difficult spot. You do. It is easy to vote against impeachment. Why? Mm. You can say this is just a circus and yeah. just, you know, it's been mm-hmm. a conviction and search for mm-hmm. crime all along. Uh, ridiculous. But a censure, you don't know, have to back the president's behavior or not. Yeah, you don't. Know. It's not easy for House Republicans to decide. And
1: it's clear that the, uh, what he was uh, – uh, uh dropping in the lap of, of president zelensky of, of ukraine was not exactly some uh, uh act of statesmanship uh you know but trump you have to remember about trump too and here's the way i look at it entirely imagining the phone conversation did trump will say anything you know whether whether he has a plan to do it or whether he's Actually, going to uh, delay aid, military aid to Ukraine, or stop it entirely, or whatever. Uh, it, he'll it, he'll just throw out any ideas. This is another reason why he's such a uh, a different, and abnormal president. Uh, and uh, uh, so much of it is just gab. It's not uh, it it's not uh, thought out. Uh, well, look. Well, obviously, it had occurred to him before the phone call that maybe I can, I can uh, get some dirt on Biden or, or flesh it out or something. But uh, I just don't think it was rises to the level of uh, some threat to national security. So you
0: read the transcript, friend. It reads like a New York developer.
1: Yeah. Doing the talking. Exactly. Well put. And uh, that's who he is. And and. Uh, and the uh, the new york developer is always looking for a deal right and uh, trump was uh, he was he was happy to have a deal and and um, and it, it turns out he didn't get one but um, and then he's moved on to the next thing you know so let's talk
0: about the hangover effect from this let's assume that by february it's over yeah, we have a presidential election on our hands. First of all, is anything going to get done in this town? It's mm-hmm. interesting. Nancy Pelosi has now moved on USMCA. Yeah. I think that's not a coincidence. I'm not sure yeah. that impeachment she does this. But with impeachment, I think she now has to give Congressman Cunningham and those other 30 House Democrats something to show when they go back, go back home.
1: It's going to be hard, though. We'll see. Uh, look, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a liberal, but I like Nancy Pelosi. I think she's been a good speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a strong leader. She's not a dictator. I mean, I think she was was she held out on uh, on not moving f- for impeachment as long as she could, and uh, and 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 she finally had to give an in uh, uh, give in. She made one mistake, and I think that was uh, uh, making Adam Schiff in charge of the first and most important uh, hearings, right. and uh, and they were entirely the 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 whole thing was entirely partisan and. You know you you had to look back and think, maybe we should try to make this uh, a bipartisan in just a little bit. you know when you think about washington in in uh, in two thousand and nineteen, you don't think of <laughs> of a bipartisanship, but they might have given it a little bit of a try, and it would have it would have looked different but it didn't. That,
0: I view these things, Fred, in terms of what makes an easy campaign commercial. Yeah. And when you saw the presser the other day of Adam Schiff with Maxine Waters next to him, well, a TV commercial was born.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But, uh, uh, you know, Adam Schiff was uh, was completely uh, uh, murdered by the IG of the, of the Justice Department. Remember, there was and, – and, and here's one of the things I'm interested in, Washington – and that is to see what all the reporters in Washington, who hated uh, Congressman Nunes, the Republican, who was saying that the Justice Department was up to no good in trying to in in getting the, <clears throat> this wiretapping of of uh, people in the in the uh, uh, Trump campaign, and Schiff went into a long. Uh, uh, Speech about how that's not what they were doing. It was all on the up and up in the in the uh, famous dossier. Had <laughs> Steele dossier had nothing to do with it. Well, it turns out we know now from the I.G. Horowitz of the Justice Department that Nunes was right and Schiff was completely wrong. Practically everything he said was not true. Now, will any of the reporters and I've, I? I remember talking to a number of them, and they just hated Nunes and they and they liked Schiff. Uh, Will any of them go back and say, you know, I got that story wrong because here's what I was told? You know, I don't know whether reporters used to do that, but they certainly don't do it now.
0: No, that is true. Uh, Speaking of Washington, Fred, we began this talking about 1973. 1973 is the first year that Joe Biden comes to town. Mm -hmm. What was your first encounter with Joe Biden? Uh,
1: I've always liked him. He is such a a gregarious guy. Uh Uh, He is a hugger. I don't think he's ever hugged me, but, but, you know, you run into him in the hall, and I don't know him well. He's not, he's, and probably the only reason, he, only reason he knows me is he's seen me on TV, and, uh, but he's always been extremely friendly. And, you know, all in all, uh, 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 the political figures that are like that, I can't help but like.
0: Why would his campaign, Fred, talk about him serving only one term? This strikes me, first of all, yep. the, it's a weak sign of any campaigner yep. that they're saying, well, we're just going to do four years and get out. It's, just, it's something you kind of throw out in desperation. But secondly, it's just an invitation to questioning the man's age.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think he is too old, actually. Uh, uh, a number of them, you know, uh, people age differently. Mm-hmm. And he's had trouble uh, a, a campaigning, you know, getting things confused and so on. Um, that's, uh, that's not a good sign. And the. The one-term thing, has that ever worked for anybody? No. Uh, it's a sign of desperation. John
0: McCain trotted it out in 2008. Yeah. It's always when you're behind yeah. them, just looking for anything to yeah. just try to
1: change. Yeah, it doesn't work. Is anybody going to say, well, gee, you know, I I like Joe Biden a little bit, m- maybe for one term, but two, no.
0: I'm going to vote for Barnes because he'll be gone yeah. in four years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. What comes to mind with uh, with Biden, I wrote about this recently, it's the, uh, the movie The Irishman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have Netflix. Uh, I've or read not. the book. Okay. Well, if you have three and a half hours of your life to give away, Netflix is waiting for you.
1: Yeah, no, I do want to. I I do want to see it. I'm interested in the case. I like Scorsese. He's a a great director. And uh, uh, but three and a half hours is a test.
0: The good news is when you watch on Netflix, you can pause and go to the bathroom. Yeah, (laughs) go back and pick it up. Mm -hmm. It is three and a half hours. But what makes The Irishman unique, Fred, is the thing called de aging where thanks to CGI to computer techniques, now I can take Fred Barnes or Bill Whalen or Robert De Niro or Al Pacino, and I can make him 20 or 30 years younger. And Mm -hmm. that's what he does in this movie. He tries to give you a young-looking Robert De Niro. It doesn't always work. There are scenes Mm -hmm. where a young-looking Bob De Niro is walking down the street with a decidedly 75-year-old gait to him. But still, they're trying to make him look younger. But this is the problem for Biden. Politics can't de-age. Now, you can can try cosmetic surgery. Mm -hmm. You can try to dress younger. You can try to act Mm -hmm. younger. But the fact is, if you're Mm -hmm. in your late 70s... To 77, mm-hmm. I believe you just can't get away from the fact.
1: No, we can't, and uh, I don't know what Democrats are going to do because he uh, uh, they're I mean, the entire uh, uh, Republicans who are angry at uh, at Trump, you know, the uh, never Trump uh, Republicans are all for Biden, they think he's the only guy who can beat right. uh, Trump, and uh. Uh, I'm not sure he can. You know, it is amazing that a, a president who has been in trouble for reelection from the moment he became president uh, is uh, has attracted a crowd of Democrats who I don't think there's a, a strong a, a candidate among the group. Now maybe Democrats just uh, don't happen to have somebody at the moment. Uh, I mean that can happen. Your party, I mean. Yeah, you know, look at the candidates for a presidency in the second half of the 19th century in America. There are a lot of uh, uh, nobodies. Uh, right. It's, but, but, I mean, the, this does give Trump a chance to be reelected.
0: You can run as a nobody if you get it. You know, Bill Clinton comes to mind. Yeah. Um, you remember very well being here in 1991 when the line formed in the rear of prominent Democrats who <clears throat> wanted nothing to do with that race because they figured Bush would get a second yeah. term. So, so you know, Mario Cuomo won't run. Mm-hmm. Sam Nunn won't run. Dick Carpenter and Al Gore and Bill Bradley. This is a long list. But Bill Clinton runs. And Why? Bill Clinton understood the electorate it was actually a pretty good guy. I worked yeah. on I worked on the Bush campaign, yep. painfully to say, yep. but learned a lot from that. One yep. of which I learned the hard way was mm-hmm. I badly underestimated that man. Mm-hmm. But you look at the Democratic field right now. Fred, mm-hmm. and the question is, who in that field really kind of gets it? Gets what the American voter wants? Uh,
1: well, they don't seem to because they uh, one of the things they seem to be able to uh, 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 not stop doing is uh, is moving to the left. I I think a uh, a normal liberal could uh, uh, do very well. Bill Clinton had had something that many politicians don't have, and that is an incredibly appealing personality. Uh, He knew how to uh, he knew how to get along with people and make them feel good, and and so on. was really good. He had the gift of gab, and he was smart. You know, he was a reader. Right. Uh, and, and as you heard me say earlier, I think that's important. I don't. I don't want a president who. Well, let me just. I don't know that. Uh, I, I wouldn't go that far to say I. I wouldn't vote for a president who doesn't read. But uh, but I find that is a as as something they need to do. That's how you learn about the world.
0: Did you think you'd live to see the day when his wife would go on the Howard Stern show?
1: <laughs> she
0: did Howard Stern the other
1: day. Really? Yep, she did. Uh, are we referring to Donald Trump's wife or or no. Bill Clinton's? This is Clinton. Hillary Clinton yeah. sat down with Howard Stern and did an interview. Had she ever seen that show before? Well, <laughs> Howard
0: Stern is not Howard Stern anymore. Howard really. Stern has become kind of a suck-up to celebrities. He's yeah. Really, he's become older, he's become a little more spiritual, and he's just really... Sp- Defanged. Just, he really is more interested in mm-hmm. therapy and things like that, and so he's not mm-hmm. going to sit you down and talk about your sex life or anything like that. So, but the funny thing about Hillary, this is exactly what she'd have done in 2016. if She would mm-hmm. humanize her, sit down with
1: Howard, Stone. yeah. She
0: wouldn't do it, but yet she's out there, fretting every time she makes a move like this, people think, does she think she has more run, one more run left in her?
1: Of course, she thinks that, and uh, and uh, uh, the trouble is uh, there are very few people in the party who uh, who agree with her on that. Uh, she ran it. You know, you usually don't get a second chance when you run a terrible campaign, right. and, and she did. And look, she had every reason for being overconfident. Uh, I mean, I certainly didn't think Trump was going to be elected president, uh, and but I, I finally figured it out. You know, when I figured it out, it, it was about 2 a.m. election night <laughs> after he'd won Pennsylvania. I said, oh, he's going to be president. <laughs> that's when I figured it out, and I think that's when a lot of other people who write about this stuff and are supposed to know things – one of my pet peeves, you know what it's become now? People who write about politics and write about government and so on, who write about what's going to happen in the future. If you look at uh, one of these things like Real Clear Politics, where they run, you know, 20 stories a day, and and uh, and half of them will be about what somebody's writing about. <laughs> look, I've written these stories, too, about who's going to win the primaries, who's going to be the next president, what's going to happen in 2024 after Trump finishes his second term, and so on. It's all this stuff about the future, and there is one striking uh, fact about the future. It's unknowable.
0: Right. Right. Let's talk a bit about journalism for a second. So you go back to the original McLaughlin group, mm-hmm. and here you are, and then the great Mort Kondracki Yep. the great Jack Germond. Yep. Very serious journalist. Yeah. Are there men and women of that ilk still in political journalism today?
1: Yeah, I think they are, but they've uh, they've sort of picked sides. That's the difference. Uh, I mean, I don't
0: want to paint it with too broad of a brush, but we yeah. have first. No, of I of don't mind. Of, we have a lot of journalists <laughs> who spend a lot of time on TV just offering yeah. opinions. Yeah. Where, frankly, don't know what they're talking about or just yeah. getting involved. Mm-hmm. things very partisan. And the secondly, a lot of writing this day just really is speculative. and yeah. It's just kind of guessing. That, and it's just, yeah. I mean, my God, how many stories can you mm-hmm. read about yeah. it, You know, if Biden loses X, Y, or Z, he's done? Or if you know, so-and-so wins X, Y, or Z. You, yeah.
1: you know, sometimes I think that I've uh, wasted a whole career in journalism because I didn't concentrate on what you can find out uh, in the two weeks prior to some event. Uh, that's when you can really find out. People will talk about it, once, but but when you try to find out to uh, predict the future, what's he going to announce a week from now, uh, well, it's, so what? He's going to announce it anyway, probably, and, and 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 it's not much of a scoop, but you can really find out stuff. Uh um, when you look back. That's why I always liked and, and they're still my favorite pieces in journalism and I've written a few of them, so called TikToks, mm-hmm. you know, about what was the chain of events that led to to some event, and you can find out facts that you can't find out ahead of time. Exactly. And I wish I'd done more of that.
0: Did you think going back to McLaughlin that McLaughlin would lead to what we have today?
1: Uh no, not at all. I thought people uh uh, uh it it was just a lively show and they you know i go back to the show in the that started i think in the late uh maybe even the late 60s you remember the uh uh what was the name of it but uh, it made some uh, you know uh uh I, I can't even think of it but it uh, uh, and the and, and McLaughlin was just a livelier version.
0: Well, here in D.C., so there's Martin Ogronski who was on figures yeah. here in D.C. Yeah, in that
1: was great and made some uh, you know, print reporters uh, right. into into well-known figures. And, and you had
0: Washington
1: Week in Review. Well, Washington Week in Review is not what I really had in mind. It's not lively enough, but McLaughlin made things very lively. He had a, a real he, – he was a, a former Jesuit. Well, I guess not former. You're always a Jesuit priest. You're never a former one. But anyway, he, uh, he had a real feel for television.
0: Yeah, and for the and, record, for the millionth time, it's
1: not Beetle, it's Beetle. Right? Yeah, and yeah, and uh, and I kept telling him, John, explain to people what you're talking about. What is a Beetle? And he's oh, all the Jesuits out there know what I'm referring to, but nobody else did. I still hear people. I'll be walking down, say Connecticut Avenue, and somebody across the street will yell at me, "Freddie the Beetle Barnes," and uh, you know, I I don't get mad.
0: Yeah, but McLaughlin was big because it did it did have a celebrity angle to it. It yep. spoofed on Saturday Night Live, David yep. Harvey doing the yep. imitation of him, and nice little monetary pipeline too because you guys would take the show on the road, right?
1: Yeah, we did, and uh, a uh, honoraria. You, mm-hmm, <laughs> and yes, and it and uh, but it wasn't just that. Uh, you go on the show uh, with McLaughlin, but just being on the show, you would get uh, a lot of invitations for speech right. uh, for pay. Um, that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten, and it, uh, you know, for me, uh, being a print journalist and getting on TV and so on was it, it was a different world, and uh, I'll have to say uh, I enjoyed it and uh, and made extra money and and uh, uh, I don't regret it at all, and I still have a contract with Fox News, although I'm not on very often. Very good. I'm a little old. You're
0: writing for the Washex now,
1: right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And How often? Well, I write a column every week. Every week, Mm -hmm. and I'm in the midst of writing one even today, about uh, uh, it's about impeachment and it's about what uh, uh, Democrats have created some nightmares for themselves. I mean, you know, the entire Trump era has been a nightmare uh, for Democrats, going back to the day he was elected, and then he adopts the Republican agenda and he changes the he makes the supreme court more conservative and uh, just just all these things and he uh and of course the ultimate uh the ultimate uh nightmare for democrats is a second trump term i didn't for a while i didn't i i didn't think it was possible but i've changed my view now i think it uh i think it is quite possible and uh I wouldn't say uh, that he's the favorite, but he's uh, it, in much better shape than I thought he would be.
0: I characterize it, it's difficult because mm-hmm. you go back and you look at what happened in 2016, mm-hmm. and he has very little room for error. Yep. He has to still pull off the upper Midwest mm-hmm. as he did in 2016. Yep. He has to hold on to North Carolina. Yeah, mm-hmm. this the yep. is where he's playing defense.
1: Yeah, it is. But he's, uh, you know, he's doing some things that. Uh, that haven't gotten widely publicized but have have happened uh, and that is uh, particularly seeking uh, making some inroads uh, among the minority votes uh, Hispanics and uh and African Americans and so on if he can cut into them you know you don't need that many if it's a close election in in various states you can you pick up uh, uh you know 5% a uh, 5% increase in uh than a normal republican would right. get in uh uh, the African American vote or the Hispanic vote—it uh, can be the difference between winning and losing.
0: So final question, Fred: Under the guise of heads explode, what happens to this town in 2021 if you're looking at another four years of a Trump presidency?
1: Boy, that's a uh, that I I've thought more about what happens if Trump is not. Elected, uh, re-elected. I think then you're going to see the the, the Republican Party is really going to have trouble. They, I mean, the the idea of a split in the Republican Party could really happen between. Uh, look, the Trump people are not going to. I and I actually think if Trump loses, he'll still want to be a, a a political figure. He'll want to be the head of this Trump Republican Party. But an awful lot of uh, Republicans won't want to be, and you'll have a split party, and that would help the Democrats. But if Trump wins. Look, I had no idea what he was going to do coming into his first term, but his second term—it's uh, just—it's it, just impossible, you yeah. know. It helps right. uh, when a politician has an ideology.
0: But imagine a twenty twenty four where Marco Rubio is the nominee, Nikki yeah. Haley, or someone like that, mm-hmm. and they've got to deal with the president who yeah. is not going to be quiet. Yeah. presidents are quiet when there's yeah. a yeah. running, but yeah. guy- well, I
1: mean, okay, but think of who is close to Trump who might be running in twenty twenty four. And I think of Tom Cotton, uh, the senator from Arkansas, an early uh, endorser of Trump, and uh, and talks to him all the time, uh, and is a very, a, a very smart guy. I mean, I, the ones I look for are uh, among Republicans are the ones who uh, one do read, and uh, and also, uh, uh, I mean, they're kind of different. Uh, one uh, uh, one is Tom Cotton. Uh, is one. I mean, you know, he's from a little town in Arkansas, and he, but he went to Harvard and then Harvard Law School and then volunteered to go and there'll be an in, an infantryman in in the Army in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, very impressive guy. Then you've got Josh Hawley, who's just gotten in uh, the Senate from Missouri and was a, a Supreme Court law clerk for the Chief Justice and is uh, very impressive from a little town in Missouri, went to Stanford uh, and, you know, in the... Uh, they're just some. Uh, I think of these younger ones who are are going to be old enough to run in uh, in twenty twenty four, and there's so many of them. Um, uh, and I could name some more of them who are very very smart. And we we see uh, um, uh, Marco Rubio, who you mentioned, is someone who's looking for. A new kind of conservative
0: spirituality.
1: Like, well, that's a part of it, but it, but but it's a version of conservatism that that uh, may help him. I don't happen to agree with it, but uh, I'm old fashioned. Sounds I'm, a
0: bit like a passionate conservatism. It it
1: it does because you're taking into account uh, things that uh, uh, aren't decided by the free market economy exactly. for sure, and uh, it's interesting. And uh, but he's. Uh, uh, but he's thinking about, about this. Is this because – and 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 who would be thinking about that if Trump hadn't been elected? His case will be interesting, Fred,
0: because before I went to New Hampshire for a Republican candidate, there was the Washington Examiner primary, the National Review primary, yep. the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. primary. And when he gave that speech at Catholic University, he yeah. wrote out this, this idea. Not well received.
1: It wasn't well received, but uh, – uh, maybe he'll come up with another idea if that doesn't work, but he needs to try this one out a little longer. Be, uh, he's not going to get uh, a lot of uh, uh, praise from me for it, but he, uh, uh, I like to see uh, particularly conservatives doing this. I mean, Trump I, – I, I give Trump credit for this you know i not only did i, I didn't uh, realize he was going to win at about 2:30 in the morning but i also uh, came to the conclusion as others have that he was the only one who could win that the standard that uh, jeb bush who i've always liked wasn't going to be able to win even a conventional republican book reader and so on uh uh, but only Trump could win. Well, why could he win? Because he had some different ideas. You know, he talked about uh, about trade and he talked about immigration. But he also talked about about doing things for people who had been sort of ignored. That the president could pull off that weren't going to be uh, achieved through the free market economy. Exactly. And it uh, it was a big difference. And it uh, and some of it is stuck.
0: Well, twenty twenty four is a long way away, Fred. Let's come on. Let's do this podcast again before then. But yeah, come out to Stanford. Let's do it out Hoover.
1: All right, good. I've been, you know, I've been out there a few times. We've talked every time I've been out there, and the, uh, I, I enjoy it. But it is California, and I'm an East Coaster, as you were.
0: That's right. Well, nice place to visit, right? Yes. Fred, thanks for a great conversation. <laughs> I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast, exploring the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution is online at www.hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Hoover Daily Report. Which delivers the best work of, of, of Fred Barnes and Hoover's fellowship to your inbox weekdays. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst, That's at Hoover I N S T. Fred Barnes, writing for the Washington Examiner, he is also on Twitter. I was shocked to see you on Twitter, Fred Barnes. But
1: you're well, on I haven't tweeted much, but uh, the uh, I uh, I have some friends who tweet articles of mine, and I have a list of people I send my articles to. But uh, you know, uh, my friend Britt Hume sent out an article I just wrote a couple days ago, and uh, he's got a heck of an audience
0: brilliant fellow Wahoo, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, Fred Barnes. Is on Twitter, and at Fred Barnes, mm-hmm. you can also find him on Amazon. I mentioned uh, Rebel in Chief. He also wrote a great book on Jack Camp with his friend yeah. Mark Kondraki. Mm-hmm. Uh, look that up too. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit Hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, iTunes U, Stitcher and SoundCloud. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.